Well, today's a good day. I'm excited. Wasn't that great, great singing, guys? Just to our Savior, how he loves us. Go ahead, Scott, bring him up here. We'll get him up, get him going. What a tremendous love that our Father has for us. It's just amazing to me that our leader, our leader, even though he's a strong man, I mean, think about it. They tried to put him in a tomb and kill him. They tried to be done with him, and it was supposed to be over, and he just kicked the tomb door wide open. And he just, he just that's a leader for you, all right? That's a man's man, all right? Like, you just, the, the death, hell, and sin, none of that could hold him down in the grave. He's alive. I like falling as a man. I like following a leader who's a man. But I also love whenever we sing a song like what we just heard about how much he loves us. Because for men, it gets a little weird when we sing how he loves us because we're a man and he's a dude. And it's like, what's going on here? You know, I feel a little goofy up in the house right now. But I want you to know as much as he loves us and he's forgiven us of everything that we've done and that he's allowed us to enter into heaven as we trust him and follow him, he's still a man's man. He's the person that I want to follow because he's the real deal. There ain't nothing fake about that dude. What he says, he does. What he does is powerful. What he does is strong. And so I just want us to just always remember who we follow and why we follow him, but also the tenderness of his love. It's just a cool thing. Today, we've got something special for you. I kind of mentioned it. We've been in a series called Toxic. We've been talking about, uh, talking about toxic thoughts, toxic relationships that we've had. Um, today, I want to talk to you about a little bit about toxic habits. And uh, basically, we want to introduce this and just tell you uh, that you are, in, you are in luck today, all right? You are in luck today. And the reason you're in luck today is because I want to introduce to you the Brad Pitt before there was Brad Pitt, all right? So if I can get Brad and Teresa to come on up here, I'm going to have you guys take a seat right over here. Uh, basically, what we wanted to do today, uh, this is Brad and Teresa Pitts, all right? There's an S on their name. The Brad Pitt before the Brad Pitt. You never heard that one. Um, well, they never heard it, so at least they get to introduce themselves to you. So, <laughs> um, we're excited about these guys being part of our church. We had the privilege of being able to go to dinner with them uh, just here not not too long ago, and they began to share some of their story about what God has done in their life, and man, the path they were on, and uh, just they were in it together. But man, at times they weren't in it together. So it's exciting to hear this today, and. As I heard it, I thought, God's going to use you. And I didn't know when we were going to schedule a date. I didn't know when it was going to happen that we were going to present this before everybody and let them be a part of this story. Um, but God knew. And God knew that that, that day was today. Um, basically, I had the privilege of going, going there with them and hearing their story. And it touched me, man. It touched me in an amazing way. And I know that today, you're not here by accident. Part of what they're going to say in their story and about how God was able to just change some stuff in their world in spite of the life that they lived and the way that they went, it, it just shows you that it doesn't matter what you've done. God still loves you anyways. And so we're just going to kind of, this is just real free. It's real flexible. It's real easy. It's not all uptight. It's not all weird. I just want to kind of do an interview here. And I just wanted them to share their hearts. And that's really what I, what I wanted from them. They kept saying, well, what kind of direction are we going? What are, the Spirit's just going to lead. And so today you're sitting yourself in a spot where the Holy Spirit's just going to move. And I just want you to be open to receive whatever you're supposed to receive today. I don't know where you came from or what your heart is saying to you or struggles you're going through. 
But before we even get into this, I just kind of want to pray and ask God to just really speak to all of us, not just you. This is me, man. I want to get something today. So let's take a moment to do that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. God, we're thankful so much for the sacrifice that you made on that cross to pay for the sins of the whole world. God, you did it because you loved us. And God, even though we didn't deserve it, you did it anyways because you wanted a relationship with us. You wanted us to decide to make you leader, Lord, and CEO of our lives. So God, today I just come before you and I just pray that you'll use this time that we have together to just be the most benefit for your glory. God, we've already sang songs of praise back to you. But God, today, right now, we want you to speak to our hearts and then we want to take what we learn and we just want to apply it to our daily lives. We're just going to trust that you're just going to use everything that's done here in this hour to just be of ultimate benefit for the people that hear it, myself included. God, speak to us today. Take any, any negative thoughts away from us, God. Any distracting things that are happening in our world, take it away from us. God, let us not be distracted in this time, but let us be focused on what you want us to hear and to see what you want us to see so we'll do what you want us to do. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right. First question is, approximately how long, Brad, Teresa, either one of you guys, you guys can cut each other off. It's totally cool um, because there's no specific order here. Um, How long have you guys been attending Revolution Church? I guess let's just kind of start there and... All right, here's what I need you to do. Take that mic and put it right on your uh, chin. And we're going to let Jeff me? control you guys. Right. So just hold Probably that Probably three there. or four months. Three or four months. Yeah. And uh, these guys. That does I, feel kind of weird. This feel kind of weird? <laughs> it, you'll get used to it. I'm wearing a Britney Spears headpiece. So all right, nothing's more <laughs> weird than that. All right. So I've uh, been attending about three or four months. And these guys uh, obviously have got a story here. Tell me a little bit about your childhood, maybe how you grew up, and some things that you were exposed to just early on. Let me start. Uh, I grew up kind of a normal home, and I guess normal's relative. So <laughs> I think it was a pretty normal home. My mom and dad uh, were still together. They are still together, 50-plus years of marriage, uh, was into sports, was a good student growing up. Um, you know, just pretty normal life, normal family life. I know my mom and dad loved me. had no doubt they loved me. They were both real busy. My dad worked two jobs, and my mom worked. But I knew without a doubt they loved me. So that was kind of my childhood in a nutshell. Okay. How about you, Teresa? What was your story there? Um, my, I, it was relatively normal. Um, we, we didn't go to church. My mom took me every once in a while. I went to vacation Bible school a few times. But, you know, <laughs> we didn't really go to church. But, um, and my parents divorced right after I got married. So, you know. That's was, hard. Yeah. So. But that's pretty typical. That's pretty normal. You're right. You kind of lived a normal life. At our day and age, you know, marriage, you, you stay together for a little bit, and then you just kind of go your separate ways. So that's about 50% of the time. That's the way it works. Tell me, though, about what happened, um, guys, when you were about 15 to 18, Brad. Your, your life kind of went a certain direction. Tell us, speak to that a little bit. Yeah, when I was about 14, 14 or 15, <laughs> um, at that point, I was going to church some, too. I was in a Methodist church. My mom and dad went some, and I was in the youth group, starting in the youth group and all that, pretty normal. But about that time, I really can't explain why, because um, I can't blame it on my parents. I can't blame it on my family life. But I guess I just took some wrong, made some wrong choices, some small choices with people, I think was probably the first step. And I think looking back on it, too, it was 
really searching for significance as a 14-year-old guy in school, um, you know, searching for acceptance, trying to fit in, that type of thing, and made some bad choices, started drinking at 14 years old. I mean, I was getting, getting friends of my sister who was older to go buy me cherry vodka, of all things. <laughs> I mean, at 14 years old, I'd go back in the alley and we'd drink, me and a friend of mine, and then go out and go see a girlfriend or do whatever, you know, walk around. So that's about that time. Well, why don't you share with us, Teresa, how you guys met in, while this was all going on? Um, we met, his best friend was dating my best friend, and so <laughs> they kind of hooked us up. <laughs> so that's kind of how we met. Yep. Very cool. How old were you guys when you guys met? 15. Okay, so you're 15. You and I was 16. And you're 16. Yep. And you're living life. And that, does that just feel normal to you, Teresa, to come into a, a situation with this young guy who's drinking and getting the cherry vodka and asking you to go get him some? And <laughs> well, we were all probably doing that. Okay. So it wasn't like, you know, he was the only one drinking. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, so we kind of... That's normal. We had the, yeah, I mean, we had the similar, you know, I didn't do all the things he did, but... You know, I drank. So, I mean, it was, I was, I was kind of wild in my teenage years, so, you know, it was kind of... That's probably what attracted me to it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Something about it, that lifestyle felt comfortable, you know? Yeah. So, so speak to just, just free-for-all it, man. Just, just go to, uh, you know, you guys, eventually you get married at some point. What, tell me about the events leading up, just... Wherever you want well, to go. Well, there was a there was a time period from the time I was about uh, I think we dated from the time I was 16 to about 18, um, 17 and a half, something like that. So we dated for about a year and a half, and uh, no, she wasn't as wild as I was. I was just joking. But about 17 years old till about 18, I guess, about a year and a half maybe. I went wild. I just went nuts. We broke up, and I went just off, and started. Uh, I was working at a record store. A store called Musicland Records. Anybody remember Musicland? Yeah, a few of you. But I was working at a record store, and we had bands coming in all the time. There was guy. Everybody in the record store did drugs, and that's where I really got exposed to drugs. Started smoking weed, and then started snorting cocaine, and got introduced to LSD and hash and quaaludes and everything you could think of in that record store. For those of you that don't know what that is, say praise God. Yep. Praise God. Yep. Um, and for those of you that have questions about it, we won't answer that. Okay. So, yeah. but, but you were in some pretty heavy, heavy stuff. Yeah. How I, frequently did you expose yourself to this that? Is every day. It got to where, I mean, it started, but it started so fast and it just, uh, it got bad quick. So I was into it every day, uh, snorting cocaine and cranking, doing all that 24 hours a day almost. I mean, I would wake up in the morning and I think about where am I going to get it? How am I going to get it? You know, and then it, it led into dealing drugs and everything else that goes along with it. And it, you know, 18 years old. Yeah. How did you guys, uh, I mean, from my perspective, I've never expo been exposed to that kind of lifestyle um, other than what you tell me. How did you not fear for your life? Or did you fear for your life? I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that was one thing when I started dealing drugs. I knew that was, that was some bad stuff there. It was one thing using drugs, but then when you started dealing, you started hanging around 
you know, meth cooks and that type of thing where you could get shot pretty easy. I, I feared for my life. Did you? And I would think back on my childhood at that point. Sometimes I would, I remember out doing drugs and dealing drugs thinking, how in the world did I get to this point in my life? Mm. You know? Yeah. Would you say that, because um, I think sometimes teenagers socially do things and then all of a sudden there's a switch where it's not so much socially anymore. It's, it's a full-on blown addiction. Where do you think that happened? What were the things that led to that? Or was it just slowly went down that path? I mean, that's a good question, because I guess thinking <laughs> about it, it was probably uh, not, very, not very long into it, Amy, where it did switch. It went from hanging out in the reg store and snorting cocaine and going out afterwards to, man, that was my life, mm -hmm. is finding, finding how I was going to get drugs. I mean, it was a challenge to me. And that, that, that thrill of, uh, you know, wonder if I'm going to get shot. It was almost like an adrenaline rush. So that was my whole life. So it did switch about that time from social, kind of just hanging out and doing drugs and partying and doing all that, to, man, it was some bad stuff. That'd be scary, man. I can't imagine that. How, how about uh, relationships that you had with people? How did that change your relationships with people? If that's the only thing that's on your heart and on your mind is going out and finding it, um, speak to, I don't know if it was your family. What, what, tell me about your family, how they perceived all this. Tell me about your friends, um, maybe Teresa. Um, I don't know. What was your world like at that stage? Like I said, my family, my mom and dad, I mean, I, I know they were just, they were going crazy trying to figure out how they're going to fix me because I was going off the deep end. Teresa and I weren't together, but Teresa and I stayed in contact. And that's one thing, go, looking back on it, too, God really used her in my life during that time, even though we weren't together, because I knew she, she knew God. I knew that she was praying for me all the time, and we'd talk at 2 o'clock in the morning, and she'd tell me she was praying for me. So, you know, during that time, my mom and dad, they, were, they had no idea what to do. If you've never been through that, and you've never had a kid go through that, or a brother or sister, whatever, you're yeah. lost. You don't know what to do. And my mom and dad, they didn't know what to do. And they would overlook things. They wouldn't get in, in, probably engaged enough in what was going on. They were hoping that it would stop. You know, they were hoping that something would happen. I got arrested three or four times, and, and no, nothing stopped it. It was just like a freight train, that movie Unstoppable. Yeah. Where there's, I mean, that's what it was, Jeez. just an uncontrollable freight train barreling down a track, and no one could stop it. I think you've brought up a great point that I want to hit on. You know, teenagers, I'm just going to, I'm going to say something that you're just going to hate me for right now, but I'm okay with that right now. Um, we can be buddy-buddy later, but parents, we've got to wise up to what our teenagers are involved in. And you know what? You say, well, I want to be my teenager's friend, and hey, I want you to be their friend, but I want you to be their parent before you're their friend. And part of being their parent is to set the healthy boundary in their life of what they're going to be exposed to and what they're not going to be exposed to. And so I think you say, well, you know, I don't want to invade their privacy. No, you better start invading their privacy, okay? You better get a hold of their phone. You better get a hold of those text messages. You better get a hold of social media. You better get a hold of who they're hanging out with. Teenagers, you can hate my guts for saying that to your parents, but, but parents, we've got to step up and do different because part of what he just said is so true. And I see it not just in this drug party world, but in just everything, Everything in life has to do with, you know, these kids are our kids, and they're kids until they're 18. And even at that, some 18-year-olds are still kids, all right? 
It's our responsibility as parents to be up in their grill, figuring out what they're involved in, what they're doing. Because here's my reality. I, I've, I've not got a teenager yet. I don't, okay? But I've got a four-year-old that don't like to brush his teeth. Here's what I know, though, through experience. Once that four-year-old, JJ, turns to about 13, 14, 15, he's going to wish his teeth were nice and bright and white and straight because he's going to be interested in the ladies. Now, he ain't thinking about the ladies right now. He ain't thinking about what's ahead because he's four years old. But in his best interest, I say, go brush your teeth. And he says, I don't want to brush my teeth. I say, I don't care what you want because I'm not trying to be his friend right now. I'm experienced. I've already gone down the road. I already know what that road looks like, and I already know where those pitfalls are, those speed bumps. And he's going to hit those speed bumps if he don't listen, not because I'm trying to be controlling, just because I have experience. And so I think it's very important as parents that we be parents. And we say, this is what's best for you. You don't have to love it. You don't have to even like it. But this is what's best for you. And so I think, Brad, that's kind of what you said there, is they just kind of prayed it went away. And let me tell you something, prayer works, but I'll tell you something, there's some sort of a shift that needs to go in our mind just from we're going to pray about it to we're going to take some action steps, okay? There's so many people out there praying about how should I serve God? Well, God just wants you to serve him. <laughs> this is a very generic statement, just serve him. And so it's not a, I have to figure it all out. No, you just need to get busy, take some action, okay? Let's continue to go forward because I just, as we hit those moments, man, those are big mountaintop peaks where God can really speak to us. You may be in a situation right now where you suspect your child's involved in some stuff and you need to go and have the hard talk. You need to do it. Don't be scared. The Lord is with you, but you need to have the hard talk. It's not comfortable, man. I've been there. It's definitely not comfortable, but you got to do it. Brad, keep telling us what, what's going on there. Um, yeah, at about that time in my life, um, I knew my mom and dad were they were lost. I knew they were lost and I took advantage of that. Mm -hmm. And I want to say too, though, I never, never blame anything I did on my mom and dad on how they didn't do the things that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Cause that's, man, that's extremely hard to do as a yeah. parent. Well, they don't so know what they don't know. They don't, they don't. <laughs> you're exactly right. They don't know. And I never blame anything on them, but looking back, I can tell you, and God has used that in our lives to, to, to speak to parents. And it, he used that in our lives, raising our kids. Yeah. And we were very involved. And our kids didn't like it a lot of times. They <laughs> but really it didn't, didn't matter, did it, Brad? It really didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't matter. Sometimes we felt like they hated us at times, you know, but I know they didn't. They Don't didn't like what right we were there. doing. <laughs> so about that time, I guess, I, w I had been, you know, in and out of jail several times. I'd gotten to the point where I, I figured my life is just trashed out. It's no way... No way, no how it's going to turn around. And so what did I do? I got back with Teresa. <laughs> I figured it, well, I was about maybe 20, 19, probably almost 20 years old. So I went wild for a few years, and then Teresa stayed with me, and then we got back together. And I can't even tell you how that happened. Do you remember? <laughs> She's trying to forget, Brad. No, I don't know. I don't know. No, I'm, think, I'm thinking that's kind of sad. Anyway. I think I just, I think <laughs> I just I came that. back, and that was kind of crazy because she well, stuck with me the whole time. And I think really the motivation probably was, man, she's the only one that's going to stick with me. I'm so messed up. And literally, I really, honestly, I think that's what it was. I was thinking, man, she's the one for me because no one's going to take me. I'm so messed up. She has a heart of gold, man. Yeah. 
She seemed loving and there was no love I, to I have. Was, I was not a wise person, let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, tell me about that, Teresa, your perspective in all this as you're coming well, back. Because when we broke up, I, I went to Indiana and lived there for a year. And then um, I was going to go to college up there. And then I ended up coming back. I partied a lot up there. So then I ended up coming back home and going to college here for a while. And um, he, like he said, we kind of stayed in contact. And um, he, would, he would, I mean, I'll just say I was stupidly in love. And, you know, so. Hey, it was Brad Pitts before yeah, there was Brad Pitts. All right. I, I get mean, it. I, I mean, get it. It was like, you know, when we met, when we first met, I would tell him all the time, we're going to get married. I mean, I just, you know. You knew. I just, yeah. And so, so I was really very stupidly in love. And so he would come back, like he would, you know, call me up at three in the morning and say, hey, can I come over? Yeah. You know, because my parents didn't, they didn't rein me in either. So, you know. Right. So we just kind of, you know, so we stayed together. We'd kind of stay in contact. And then, then one night he comes to my house and we get, we'd go out and I don't even know what we did, but go out to eat or something. And um, we're in the car, and he says, you know, will you marry me? And I'm like, yeah. You know, knowing, knowing. Of course. No, well, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to ask, and he's going to ask, and if I don't say yes, then I'm just going to lose him. That's how, I'm just telling you, please, please, teenage people, do not be this stupid. This is, do not do this. Because, I mean, seriously, I wouldn't, if, you know, if God wants you to be together with somebody, he'll, he'll make that happen. You don't have right. to make that happen. That's right. I felt like, you know, I, I wasn't strong and like, I was a Christian, like I got saved when I was 15, but I didn't, nobody ever discipled me or showed me the way to go or said, Hey, you need to read your Bible every day or go to church. I didn't do any of that. I got saved at a church service, walked down the aisle, got saved because Somebody came to my door and knocked at my door and said, hey, you want to go to church? So I did and ended up getting saved. And I know I was truly saved, but that was it. You know, you didn't so have I didn't growth know, from that Right, point. so I didn't know anything. So, you know, so then when he said, hey, let's get married, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, because, you know, that's what I want. And then I think that night, the next day, we were supposed to go to his parents' house, and he was gone like, like he didn't come home. Like he, I'm at his parents' house, and he's not there. <laughs> and I'm thinking... Okay, this is not good. Where is yeah. this dude? Yeah. Yeah, this is not good. But, I, hey, I still kept. And then I even pushed the date up because I was like, he's going to, this is, I'm telling you, he's going <laughs> to, I'm really not very smart. He, you know, he, I felt like I was going to lose him to drugs. I, I knew he was doing drugs. I didn't know how bad it was. Right. So, I, you know, I felt like I had to move the date up just so that I could get married, mm -hmm. you know. Right. And so that's kind of. And I, I think for a lot of young women out there, um, a lot of the self-worth, that you have or the self-image that you have is you feel the same way that Brad felt. I don't think we're going to have anybody. If I lose this person, then I, then I don't have anybody. And so it's like what Teresa's saying there. She, she was in love and she just wanted to figure it out. But through all these circumstances that were going on, it almost felt like barriers. So she, but she created a way, you know, kept pushing the state back. And I see so many young women do this in their life. And quite honestly, she's right. It's not the way to go. Because what you do is you keep pushing, pushing, pushing your agenda, and then you're unhappy in the end. Because ultimately, you've created this scenario that's not God's scenario for you. And I'm not saying them being together is not God's scenario, but I'm saying 90% of the time that we see it, these, these young ladies, man, they just feel like that they're, they don't have any hope. They're not going to find anybody else. And I just want to challenge you ladies to set up some healthy boundaries and healthy guidelines and really 
create this list that this is who God would have for me. I'm not going to date anybody that's doing X, Y, and Z because I just think God has something better for me than that. I challenge you to go home and do that. Now, I don't want you to say, this is not the list I'm saying to do. Blonde hair, blue eyes, tans a lot. Um, that's not the list I'm asking you to create. I'm asking you to say, this is what I know God in his word says is wrong. So therefore, I'm going to stick away from anybody that's actively disobeying Christ. The Bible says that we're to uh, abstain from all appearance of evil. And you know, if there's a little glimpse of that person that, that's just, they're out there running haywire, doing what the world's telling them to do, I tell you, if they're doing that just a little bit in front of you, wait till you get married to them. Because they're a completely different person than you know. And I don't care how long you say you've been with them and you've been dating, none of that matters. Because once you get married to those people, you're locked in. And when you're locked in, the world's different than you initially thought. And so just be very cautious. I'm telling you, ladies, you are beautiful. You need to hear that today. You are beautiful. And God has a specific person for you. He does. Don't settle. Did you hear me? Do not settle. Because in, if you settle, you are telling God, God, this is the best you have for me. And I just got to believe that God knows what you need. God knows what the desires of your heart are. And if you'll stick and cling to setting those healthy boundaries of whatever is in God's word, those are, that's what I'm going to do. I'm telling you, God will bring the person in your life that you need. He will. Let's continue on in the story because I know God's using it. <coughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, Teresa, um, why don't you go into, you know, once you got married and what happened? Um, did he all of a sudden change um, once you guys got married? or? Um, yeah. Because a miracle <laughs> happened, or uh, what happened there? Um, no. <laughs> he, um, after we got married, we, I got pregnant pretty quick. So we had Delana like within the year, the next year of us getting married. So, um, so then I was like, you know, once, once I had Delana, like my, any party and anything that, I mean, once I got pregnant, it was like that was it for me. You know, I was done with being that kind of person. But he worked when we first got married, he, he worked um, night shift, like three to 11 or something. So like he would work all day, I mean all night, you know, sleep all day. So we really didn't see a lot of each other. Mm -hmm. And then, so, you know, I didn't really, I, I, did, I still at this point didn't know he was doing like hard drugs or anything like that. I just thought, you know, smoking pot, you know, drinking, stuff like that. And I kind of, I kind of let off some at that point for the did first you? year. So yeah, a little bit. Yeah. You were trying. Yeah. You were trying. That's right. That's right. Yeah, but then a couple years later, after we had the boys, um, we had twin boys, and at that point, he was working a lot because it was, he worked for us. He had gotten laid off, and we moved with his, in with his parents for a while, and then we moved, and uh, he got a, a job that was with a small company, and so it was kind of a startup company, and so um, they would do, it's pest control, so they would do what we call cleanouts and, at restaurants, and it was like all night long. And at that point, that's when I started finding stuff in the house. Mm. So then I kind of, I didn't know what they were, but, but, but I was suspicious. But then we bought a house, and it was like a fixer-upper house. And he had to, um, he would say, oh, I'm going to go and, like, paint the house, you know, after I get off work. And, but then it would end up being, like, all night long. And then I would think, well, that's just not right. You in know, something's of, wrong here. It's pitch black outside, yeah, but he's and that, painting. That's kind of where I got a clue that things were not yeah. right. Something was wrong. You might 
Yeah, like I said, just right when we got married, I did uh, kind of get a little bit better maybe on my own, own power. And then I, like Teresa said, when I started working at that company, started doing a lot of drugs. It just, it multiplied. It was like I took up where I left off plus some. Jumped right back into it. So then it was, and I'm telling you, I loved my family. I loved Teresa. I loved my kids. But the power to do drugs was stronger than my love for my kids and my family and Teresa. And every time I would do drugs, I'd be over there doing drugs. And we would paint the inside of the house, but we do a lot of drugs too. And then we'd go out and party. And then I'd feel terrible, man. Now, I'm not talking about hangover terrible. I'm talking about guilt terrible. Yeah. I would feel awful, man, thinking, man, I've got a family. How can I do this? Yeah. So then I would stay gone for three or four days because I'd feel so bad. Depression? Oh, yeah. Depression, guilt, shame. And then I'd go out and get so messed up I'd forget about everything. And I guarantee you some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Did it right here. And so I would go out and I would just party for days. And then I'd come home. And then I come home and Teresa would accept me back in the house. I mean, she got, it was like every time I would do that, you got a little more cautious, a little more cautious. But um, I guess say there's one thing, and I don't want to embarrass, any, embarrass my daughter, but God really used He used a situation in my life during that time that impacted me in a huge way, man. I would come home after being up for six, seven days straight with no sleep and just wired and uh, feeling, like I said, feeling terrible about what I'd done. I'd come home, I'd knock on the door, and there to meet me was my daughter. <laughs> I was going to ask you this. That's so great that you're going there, man. And she would uh, she'd meet me at the door and hug me and tell me she loved me. And, Daddy, you going to stay home? And say, yeah, I'm going to stay home. And every time, you know, I'd come home, and uh, it was that unconditional love. She I'm didn't know what I'd been doing. She didn't care what I'd been doing. She didn't know I'd been out for six, seven days straight doing drugs and doing all kinds of other crap and doing all that. I'd come home. She'd meet me at the door and tell me how much she loved me. And fast forward and way forward, I tell you, God really used that in my life Amen. to show me unconditional love That's that right. he has for each one of us. Man, that's good. But that, that was a tough time in my life when I would come home. Um, and then Teresa, like I said, she was becoming more cautious. And she finally got to the point, and I'm going to let you jump in here, but she got to the point where she got enough support and help where she started taking some steps to uh, stop, I guess, stop supporting me. Would you say enabling you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, my mom and dad, they were trying everything they could think of. I mean, I, I was killing them, man. And, you know, my kids were so young. They were two and four. But Teresa was doing everything she could do. But, yeah, they were in the love they had for me. They were helping string it along because they accepted the crap I gave. They accepted the excuses. They were hoping and praying <laughs> that this was the last time. And I know, I know that's what it was looking back on it. They were, man, they were just, they were having a hard time not saying, okay, go ahead and come back. I would say probably in that scenario as a parent, you know, your kid's coming to you, you're saying, I don't have any money, I don't have any way to do this, I just need a meal. It'd be hard to deny your kid a meal 
But you know, in them giving you that meal, that just allowed you to get by. And I guess in that lifestyle, what I've seen as a pastor, maybe not as specific to you, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, when you're in that scenario, you'll just do whatever it takes to skate on by. And if you'll give me $5, I'll figure out a way to go get what I need. That's what it is. So when these scenarios come along and, and these people are in that, that environment, man, they just ultimately, they really need Christ in their life. They need to, to, to lean on God, which, which I, I love your story, Brad, and I really want to get to that. And for time's sake, we need to keep going um, just on speak about how God began to change. When did it click? When did it change? What happened? I know you said your daughter played a huge role in that. Teresa's trying as best she can. There's a lot of enabling going on. You're saying that she decided she had enough support, she quit. Speak to that and kind of go into how you changed. I'll just say one thing before he says, I, I, I truly believe like that, um, I mean, I just got to a point where, like I said, I didn't know that much about the Bible, but I would, I would read Psalms. That's, that's all I need to do in Proverbs. And I, just, I got to a point where I, I felt like God was saying, let it go. Mm. And How hard was that? Real hard. <laughs> and I remember as I was in the shower, actually, and I was like, I, I, I just felt, I mean, this overwhelming sense like, okay, I've, I, this is it. I'm letting it go. I've, I've got to let it go. And then it was like, he, I'd already, he was already gone from the house, so he wasn't at the house, even though, and then that's kind of where he, it wasn't too, many, too much longer after that that you kind of. I think it was within a few days. And, and really, too, I'll tell you, and some of you guys know what I'm talking about. I got better for a while, and then I, I even, I lost my job, and then I got a new job. And guy invested money in me to start a company and all that stuff was going on but i kept i kept filling that that crap in my that big hole in my life with a bunch of garbage teresa got to that point and i'm telling you it was within days i didn't know until later what had happened but i came home one night or one day and at that point in my life i felt like it was so messed up there's no way it's ever going to be fixed i didn't i knew all about god and i'll just tell you man i was thinking back at the time when i was doing drugs saying god help me get these drugs and that's it. I'm done. <laughs> Just help me to get this last bag of Coke and I'm done. I remember making deals with him. I remember in those few days right before that happened, I remember specifically like it was yesterday one time I was over at a drug dealer's house getting drugs and thinking, man, the devil and God are fighting over me right now. Mm. It's the weirdest feeling. But I felt that spiritual warfare. Yes. And I didn't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I didn't have a personal relationship, but I knew all about God. I believed Jesus died on the cross, and I believed all that stuff, but I didn't know him. But at that point in my life, I knew there was spiritual warfare going on. I, come ho I came home. I'd been up for about seven days, a week, no sleep, just wired, came home, broke into my house because she had changed the locks on the door. Matter of fact, she'd put all my clothes in bags, trash bags on the porch. But I came, I think pretty much everything, I came home, I don't know what I was going to get, but I broke into my house to get whatever I could find, and then I was going to move down to South Padre Island. My cousin was a bartender on the beach. I thought, that's the answer. I'll just leave everything here, and I'll move down there. So I break into my house. I walk back in the master bedroom, and I'm sitting on the bed, and I'm thinking, man, I just need to rest a minute before I drive 11 hours. <laughs> right? So I, I sit down on the bed, and uh, you got you to kind of understand where I was at. I'd been up for seven days, so I thought, yeah, I'm going to sleep a few hours and I'll be fine, right? Yeah. So I sat there, and I, the only thing I can explain when I think about it, 
is that surrender that we talk about in church, that happened. It was like unconditional surrender to get his unconditional love that he had for me. But I just gave up at that point. I didn't know a sinner's prayer. I didn't, no one was there leading me to the Lord. But all I did is I sat there on the bed and I said, God, if you're real, take this out of my life. And I'm yours. Mm. Sorry. Um, no, that's but, good. But I sat there on the bed that night, and as soon as I said that, I didn't even know really it was a prayer, man. I was just talking, you know. <laughs> and I said, God, if you're real, take this out of my life, and I'm yours. And as soon as I said that, I knew without a doubt he'd answered my prayer. I had no doubt in my mind. The very first thought I had was, this is crazy, man. No one's going <laughs> to believe this because I knew. Had you been known as a liar, Brad? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did whatever Nobody it took. Knows. I've met You're God. You're talking about no. trying to get $5, man. I talked my mom and dad out of money right and left. I thought, you know, Teresa believed me sometimes when she probably knew she shouldn't believe me and really didn't believe me but did. You know, so yeah. So you fell asleep, and I remember you slept for a good amount of time. I slept for a while, and I woke up. First thing I see when I wake up, there's Teresa and my mom. They were at a grocery store, I think, getting groceries, and they're standing at the foot of the bed. And the only thing I can remember is just asking if I could just sleep for a little bit. And I slept for a little while. And I woke up. And then for 30 days straight, I just, I'd sleep. I'd eat. I pulled a Bible out from vacation Bible school. I started reading the Bible. I found a Christian radio station. I think it was the only Christian radio station in Dallas. I found <laughs> it on the radio. I started doing everything I could possibly do to fill my mind with things of God. And I didn't know what else to do. That's all I knew is that... God had changed my life, I had no doubt, and now I needed to learn about who, who just changed my life. Amen. And it took a long time, I think, for Teresa and my family to believe me because they had seen me get better and then get bad and then get better and get bad. And, you know, this was the last time. It's this like was the last sheep time. who cried wolf, you know. Exactly. I just can't go into that again. Exactly. Teresa, speak to even... Um, you know, your parents, how they felt about all this. You get the support, and then you're bringing him back. How does that interaction go? Because I can only imagine, you know, they finally feel like you, got, you dropped him, and you needed to drop him, and then all of a sudden now you're taking him back, and he's sleeping around and eating, or sleeping in your house and eating and reading the Bible now. What's, what's that story like? It's really mainly my, um, just my mom, and she, you know, I mean, she didn't want me to take him back. She wanted me to divorce him, but... yeah. You know, I wasn't going to do that, but, um, you know, so she was really the only one that my dad wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. around, but, um, so, I mean, it wasn't really more of, I mean, I was really closer to Brad's parents. I mean, my, I love my mom now, but yeah. she, at that point, at she that was, point she was done. Like she wasn't going to help. She didn't give me money because she knew if she gave me money, I'd probably give him money. So she wouldn't even help me at all. Yeah. So she was just kind of done with it. So she for sure didn't believe it, you know? Right. Like, Here's the next question on the list. It says, what would you tell someone who's gone through this type of situation or is currently going through it? You know, I thought about that. Um, I've thought about that several times, and I think every situation is different. But I guess the one thing that always is consistent is that no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, God's unconditional love doesn't change. Right. And the one thing I found that all that stuff that was going on in my life, it really didn't matter. That second, I mean the instant that I totally surrendered, 
Not some deal I was making with God. It wasn't a deal. It wasn't saying, God, take these drugs out of my life and I'm going to change and blah, blah. No, it was total surrender. But once I did that, immediately he was right there. So he followed me down that road. And I, that's the one thing I would tell anybody here, Randy, is that anybody I've ever talked to is it really doesn't matter what you've done. You can talk about all the garbage in your life, but as soon as you turn, as soon as you surrender, God is right there. You turn, and he's right behind you, and he's grabbing you just like my daughter when mm -hmm. I came home. He's right there. Let's speak to that for a minute. You know, God, sometimes people in their life, they go through so much that they feel like, God, where are you? God, I don't feel your presence. I don't know if you're real. It's like you're so distant from God. You've heard all about God, but you feel like you just can't experience God. I often say it like this. God's kind of like a tree. Trees don't get up and walk around and start running, okay? Trees are planted. You know what? These trees, they're always in the same spot, you know, unless you go cut it down. But, but you know, that tree is right there. And it's not moving. And so when you feel distant from God, you just need to know you moved away from the tree. When you can't see the tree anymore, you can't feel the tree, you don't feel the shade, you don't feel any of that, you don't feel the protection of God, you're the one that moved. It wasn't him. He's like a tree. He's still going to be there if you turn back to him. You can still go to where he is and you can still learn about him and you can still get his protection. You can still have that. But I'll, I'll say this. There's a point in every person's life where God says, you know what? I, I love you. I want you. And here's the direction you need to go down. But if you keep denying it and if you keep following your path and keep doing your thing, at some point God says, enough's enough. And your time is done. At some point. We talk about the unconditional love of God that will accept you at any given point. He will, but at some level, enough's enough. At some level. I don't know where any of you guys are today. I don't, I don't know what maybe has been speaking to you or not been speaking to you, but I want you to know that if God's telling you to do something, it doesn't matter what it is. Even if it's just, hey, join this ministry and you choose not to do it, at some level, God says enough's enough. You know what? You're not getting on the team. You don't understand what I'm trying to tell you to do or you're just not being obedient. Enough's enough. And then he lets that, he takes his hand of protection off of you. you don't, you're not under that shade anymore. And then when all those bad things start happening, you have no one to blame but yourself. And so I want to speak to that, but I also want to speak to that unconditional love and say, the protection's still there. It's still there to provide shade, just like that tree. It's still there to help you. It's not leaving you. You just need to come back. It's that full surrender that Brad's talking about, saying, you know what? I'm done living my way. It's over. I'm done with it. And I need, to, I need to learn more. He said it. I need to learn more. I need to grow more. I need to find myself around the people in my life that are going to help me. And I'll tell you, if you'll do that, Brad's living testimony example here of a person who was doing everything the opposite, and all of a sudden, God got a hold. God got a hold. And man, I want you, this last question I had, what are some of your desires now concerning following Jesus? How do you live different now than before? Well, for me, it was, uh, you know, obviously living before that, I was living for myself and just trying to find the next, the next high or whatever. But how I live today, though, I mean, as soon as God changed my life, as soon as I turned and he was right there 
and he changed my life. Immediately, I wanted to share that. Because like I said, man, the first thought I had was, this is crazy. No one's going to believe this. And the next thought I had, I say this all the time, the next, thing I, I, next thought in my mind was I'm going to tell everybody about it because <laughs> it's crazy. They, yeah. There's no other explanation. So immediately what I did, Randy, is I tried to get involved in sharing what God had done in my life. So immediately I got involved with juvenile detention homes and anybody that would let me come in and talk about it. I had no clue what I was doing, but within a few months, I think it was a few months, I talked my brother and a few guys into this church we were going to to go down to this juvenile prison and do a church, do a church service and a Bible study. We had no clue what we were doing, but hey, I just quick, wanted to share. Brad, the guy that was all screwed up, jacked up, is leading Bible study, all right? It's Isn't that great? Up. You know, but that's what God can was, do. Yeah, it was pretty messed up. He can, he can interject. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, God had changed him, and he was yeah. able to take his story, and all of a sudden, this guy did everything wrong all of a sudden becomes a person to look up to. That's true life change. That's Jesus Christ. That's why yeah. we're here today. That's cool to me. Yeah. I think that's freaking cool, dude. That's amazing. And you know, my family, they all knew me better than anybody. So they knew without a doubt there was a change. And you know, the, the story, and I think it's wow. in Corinthians, where Paul is in prison and the guard gets saved, right? And he <laughs> says his whole family is going to be saved. That's what God did in my life. When God... God did such a radical thing in my life that my mom and dad saw it. My dad accepted the Lord. My mom rededicated her life to the Lord. Teresa rededicated her life to the Lord. Um, all three of my kids ended up accepting the Lord at an early age. My brother accepted the Lord. My sister accepted the Lord. Had friends that, you know, got to know. Um, the one thing that I can think about, Randy, that I feel so blessed to be a part of out of all of that was... I was, my grandmother, she was about 70 some odd years old. My grandmother was in town and God put on my heart that she didn't have a relationship with him. I mean, that's my grandma. She loved everybody, right? <laughs> but he just put on my heart. She didn't know, she didn't have a personal relationship. So I would go over there to my parents' house at lunch every day about the, I think it was the last day she was going to go back home to South Padre Island. I went over there and I sat down at lunch. And I was sitting there, and I just kind of blurted out, Grandma, do you know if you die, would you go to heaven? <laughs> I was so nervous. And I knew when I said that, I knew she was going to say, well, yeah, Brad. And she said, no, I don't. Oh, man. And it just hit me, man, just like a ton of bricks. I was able to share the Lord with her, and she prayed Praise with me right there and accepted the oh, Lord. Oh, dude, awesome, man. It was unbelievable. And so all those oh, things, gosh. you know, started happening. It's just unbelievable what's happened since then. And I can tell you stories and stories about how God used the garbage in my life to glorify himself and to change lives. And that's what he can do with each one of y'all. You talked about, you know, at some point, God takes his hand of protection off. I really believe I was at that point. I yes. really believe I was right there because I had friends of mine that aren't here right now. Had friends, people, I say friends, people I knew that are dead. I had a guy that introduced us to church. I think I told you all about Lester Wigley, a guy that introduced us to church. I got the first job after I accepted the Lord. I go to, go to work, and I'm sitting at a desk across from a guy, and I start talking. He goes, yeah, I came out of a meth background, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, this is weird. And he goes, then I accepted the Lord, and he changed. I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> who told you about me? So anyway, we're sitting there, and this guy introduced us to church. We go to church. He's in a, he does a rehab, like a celebrate recovery type deal. I mean, this guy's on fire for the Lord. God used him in my life. He goes back to drugs and he oh, dies. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. 
Wow, man. God used him in my life, in uh, both of our lives, in an unbelievable way, but he made a choice to go back, and God, God said, that's it. Enough's enough, like yeah. you said, Randy. Yeah, that's hard, isn't it? I mean, I saw, I saw stuff like that, so I know it's a fact. God loves you. He loves you with a love you cannot believe, but you're going to come to a point where, like Randy said, enough's enough, and God is going to take his, I can tell you, I've seen it. He's going to take his hand. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It means he loves you so much that he knows you're not going to change. He's going to take you home. And it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good for your family. It's not going to be good for your friends. So, I mean, that's, that's it. Well, man, I really appreciate you opening up to all this. I know that some of these moments I can see whenever you get there, it's just like, ugh. But man, Still you're sharing hard, your man. heart. Well, it's, it's your, your reality. It's your yeah. life of what happened. 